slovenly trolls, slovenly trolls, we're big, bad, evil girls. Hello, harlots, and welcome to a new episode of the Slovenly Trolls podcast. I am your favorite host, Lissa, and with me today, as per always, along for the ride is <laughs> the least favorite host, uh, Charday. Hi, how are you? I've been demoted yet again. Who's shocked? Not me. It's not my ship. <laughs> it's not my ship anymore. I mean, you could also be the other favorite host. I didn't say anything. So, you know, you're just putting yourself That's down. That's true. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm just having a really bad, like, self-esteem day. Maybe mm-hmm. I need to, like, build myself up, you know, like, get that feminine rage going because, oh, my God, do we have a lot of it today? <laughs> we have so much, so much rage today. So many rants we could have done. So many things I could have talked about that I was not allowed to talk about. Not because we don't want to hear Lissa's rants, but because we don't have time for Lissa's rants or my rants, quite frankly. Neither of our, like we have time for some, but we had to cut some as well because we only have so much time. And while some of you may say, oh my God, publish a five-hour episode, besties. We'd love that. Um, You say that, you say that, but I don't know if you mean it. <laughs> and also... Please don't make me edit a five-hour episode. I beg of you. I would I would probably crash and burn and die. Thank you. You might be asking, so Lissa and Sharday, what could you possibly have that much to talk about? Well, I'm going to tell you because the topic is the mommy of magic herself, Mistra. Wow. There's so much there. <laughs> so much in terms of like lore. Also problems, uh-huh. also sexism, also very weird vibes. Mm-hmm. That's 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 what we're doing today, and we will we will be trying to answer the question of why the fuck do people apparently hate her so much? Because apparently, that's what's going on in the world of Mistra and D anD. d Is we just all hate her. Mm-hmm. We're all supposed to hate her right now, and mm-hmm. we were very confused by that, so we're going to try to answer that question today. <laughs> yeah. We're answering that question without any Baldur's Gate 3 spoilers. First, because we haven't played it, but yeah, yeah. we can't go there. <laughs> we're not going there. So based on lore, D&D lore, sans Baldur's Gate, with some context on magical women. Wow. Wow. And also just the relationship between gender and magic and not just magical women mm-hmm. but before we go into our episode it's my favorite part of the podcast i get to do the patreon shout outs so we would like to thank the following people becca melema matt dunn scott williams tony lettinen ryan sheldon russ luzetsky nathan wilson dread ninja chrissy bay aka fireboy dungeon daddy rick of hammer of the gods jordan mclanson nick andrewson Casimir Lieber, Carter Haas, Jason Gonzalez, Tolkien the Enforcer, Bethany Hobmeyer, Ray Kreveling, Zach Hardman, Dave Tulgetsky, Andrew Massey, and then our producer, dear super special shout Jeremy Raymond, Kim Winston, and Lorax. Thank you. We appreciate you. (laughs) So much appreciation. 
But if you weren't part of the Patreon shoutouts, we also appreciate anyone who rates our podcast, gives it a couple stars, hopefully five, but you know, give it what you will on Apple or Spotify. Or if you write us a review, we will have Charday, our very own slovenly poet, write you a poem in iambic pentameter as a yep, thank you. Yep. A personal yeah. poem from Charday as a, a thank you. A pee from me. Yeah. Yeah, a pee pee from Charday. <laughs> Who doesn't <laughs> a pee pee from me? <laughs> Who doesn't pee pee and I am a pentameter. <laughs> I mean, what more can you want from your life? Like, really, honestly, <laughs> there's nothing else. You once you get a pee pee from Charday, like you've done, you're done, you're done. There's nothing else to live for. Life made. Life made. <laughs> once you get my, once you get my pee pees, you know, <laughs> like it's all over for you. Um, but on a more serious note, we do have a couple content warnings that come with Mistra. We will be talking about grooming, sexual assault, impotence, and implied incest. So if those are topics that you are uncomfortable to listen to, we can see you on the next episode where we will probably do a spin-off from Mistra. But more on that on our social media to follow. <laughs> plug, 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 But on that note, we will be going into part one, which is called Why the Fuck Do People Hate Mr. Part one. Why the fuck do people hate Mistra? By me, Sade. Hi. Hello. How are you? So we started off researching Mistra for two reasons. One, because we've been coming across her for a really long time. Um, if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, we first kind of became tangentially aware of Mistra and how big of a role she played in the D&D lore and even mechanics in episode 19, Gaslight Gatekeep Gender Bender, where we talked about Elminster gender bending basically at the will of Mistra. So we had a little bit of discourse there. And then as we kind of continued on researching other episodes, we kind of kept running into her because you kind of can't not run into her and lore. She's sort of everywhere. And then in the past month or so, a little game, I don't know if you've heard of it. Lissa, stop me if you haven't heard of this. This little game called Baldur's Gate 3 came out. I don't know if, you, <gasps> if you've heard of what, what that is. Um <laughs> By um this weird studio that we've definitely 100% never talked about on social media or this podcast, Larian Studios. Between us, we definitely don't have like a thousand hours of gameplay uh, in anything they've created <laughs> ever. Um, hello? What? No. No, never. Uh, so <laughs> Baldur's Gate 3 came out. I'm sure if you're listening to this Dungeons & Dragons podcast, you probably know what we're talking about. And on TikTok and on the internet, apparently Mistra came up in that game. Uh, full disclosure, both Lissa and I have not played Baldur's Gate 3 yet because I uh, play on Xbox and it hasn't released on Xbox yet. And Lissa has a Mac. So <laughs> like it's we're, we're working on it. We really want to play. We're working on it. But we thought the discourse that was going around was important because we come, we've come across Mistra a lot and there seemed to be a lot of hate kind of flashed at Mistra and a lot of conversations happening around the game, but also some people were kind of piping up who had been following Forgotten Realms for a while or playing D&D for a while. And they were like, oh my God, I'm so glad that people are talking about how much Mistra sucks. 
And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize people just flat out hated Mr. Full Stop. (laughs) So we did a little preliminary research, like scavenging the forums and seeing what the discourse was about Mistra. And uh, TLDR, it's not great. (laughs) People really, really don't like her. Um, So this section is basically TLDRing the biggest problems people have with Mistra, both in the Forgotten Realms and in the source books, in the novels, and also a little tangentially into Baldur's Gate 3, but we won't be diving too deep into that. We will only be using the context in this section and kind of looking at these specific issues that people have brought up in the Mistra discourse. So that's kind of what this section is about, to kind of tamper expectations a little bit and show where we're coming from in terms of, oh, this is why we think people hate Mistra because this is what the internet has to say. So I've pulled a couple of little quotes from, again, a little website you probably have never heard of, Reddit. Um, <gasps> what? <laughs> that's that's my role in this uh, section is I just gasp and say what? Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I pulled was just the title of a post in a Baldur's Gate 3 forum that reads, Mistra is the Harvey Weinstein of Faerun. Can I just say, gasp what? <laughs> At this point. Because <laughs> what? What? Hello, what? Hi. Yeah. That's a big accusation that they're making. And again, we haven't played Baldur's Gate 3, so I don't really know what they're fucking saying with this. But that's a big thing. If you don't, for some reason, know the accusations leveled against Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein, he is a serial and now I, I think he's actually criminally charged with sexual assault on women. So that is a big, a big accusation. And there was a lot of discourse just underneath that post talking about grooming in terms of Baldur's Gate 3 and how she plays the role of a groomer in Baldur's Gate 3. So that kind of, we added that to our list saying, okay, Mr. has some allegations of grooming. Later on in the Baldur's Gate 3 forums, I also found a post called Mr. the Bitch, but bitch was spelled B asterisk, 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 asterisk. (laughs) And this one had a little bit more nuanced of conversation about it. Weird from the title, Mr. the Bitch. You wouldn't think there was nuanced conversation, but there was. Surprising. Yeah. One of the replies reads, Mr. and her predecessors have always been a bit of a bitch. (laughs) LOL. (laughs) She's lawful neutral. She only serves her own goal, which is fostering and innovating magic. That's why liches and evil magic users can't exist. And deities of the Forgotten Realms aren't omniscient or omnipotent. She may be a goddess of magic, but she's no Ao. And I pulled that quote specifically because I don't think we really talked about Ao a lot in Forgotten Realms. But for what you need to know, context-wise, he's basically God with a capital G. I think that's safe to say, right, Lissa? Yeah, he he in the creation myth of the Forgotten Realms, he created the Forgotten Realms. He and he alone, you know, the capital G God created the forgotten realms and then other things came from him yeah in his image Mm -hmm. sound familiar we don't have time for a christian rant here but i have one (laughs) we don't we don't but i think you can sense what our opinions are on that and (sighs) um, i also brought this up because ao is very tied to mistra's lore in multiple aspects of her life and i thought it was just really interesting how oh she's maybe a goddess of magic but she's not capital g god and i'm just the way that was written was very odd to me and i'm like well obviously not no god is like capital g god if you look at it that way (laughs) so 
that's kind of what got my gears turning of, oh, okay, is some of the discourse around Mistra because she is a very powerful female deity is kind of what I started more looking into myself because there are some very serious allegations against her character and then there's also ways people write about her that are like well would you be writing about her this way because she's a man you know yeah it's it's they're they're pointing out that because she's a goddess of magic she funds all the evil deities that you know use magic and i'm just like okay valid point but she also funds the other people who are doing good (laughs) With magic. What's your point pointing out that she's, like, giving power to the evil liches and evil bitches that are using magic for nefarious mm-hmm. p- purposes? Like, you you could, like, everybody is using her magic, not just the evil people. Also the neutral people. Also the good people. Like, what's your point? Yeah. It sounds pretty neutral to me, fam. Why are you acting so salty about it? <laughs> Another quote from this Mr. is a bitch <laughs> section. Sorry, I cannot get over that name. Someone wrote, always thought she was kind of a moron back when she was midnight, which is one of her iterations that we'll be talking about. Also, LOL, stop dying. You're supposed to be a goddess. (laughs) And I was like, don't a bunch of gods just fucking die sometimes? I know Mr. is kind of nefarious for that. And we'll get into that in our analysis section. But again, the way they're writing about her is just... I don't know if they'd be like using this tone if she was a male god. I just don't know, which is why I was getting so confused and conflicted. I mean, I I sort of can see where they're coming from in a way. Okay, so when gods usually die, they take a long time to come back. Mistra pops back like a what's that game where you like hit on the heads of hedgehogs or something? Whack a mole. That one. So she'll, like, you you hit on her once and then, like, she'll pop back up, like, immediately afterwards. Other deities, usually, they tend to take time to come back to gather their resources. And there's, like, a couple of years or something. But she comes back, like, immediately. Snap of the finger. Immediately. I mean, I think okay. that I'm correct in this. But if I'm wrong, you can, you can call me out on social media or send us an email. But that's where I think this is going. But... She's also, like, if, say, Ao immediately died and then popped back up, would they be mad at him and be calling him a right. bitch for dying and popping back up? Like, she's a powerful deity. Mm-hmm. Like, she's one of the original, I think she was, like, in the creation myth that I read. She's one, two, three. She's the fourth deity, no, fifth, fifth deity to ever have been created by Ao. Give her a fucking break. (laughs) Say her name with respect. Respect your elders. (laughs) Jesus. I have a couple more quotes from that specific original post. So there was somebody who pointed out that Ed Greenwood doesn't know how to write characters and individualistic stories, especially when it comes to women. Midnight herself has a portfolio of some ridiculous world-breaking feats, such as creating a dimension which makes even less sense when Ed tries to make her out to be a damsel who just refuses to use her power. So another reason why people think that she is a bit of like a controversial deity is just because she's not written well. So that's another aspect that we'll be looking into in the analysis is like, how inconsistent is she? How much of this is the patriarchy just putting a bunch of stuff into this? How much is it women in magic kind of tropes and how the feminine magic kind of comes into it? 
because Ed Greenwood is the one, I believe, who created Mistra, and he's the one who's written the most about Mistra. We didn't have time to read all the novels <laughs> that uh, Mistra is in, unfortunately, but we're going to at least be keeping an eye on like some of her main actions throughout the canon lore of mythology as well because we've I think we've made the point before that Ed Greenwood has a bit of a iffy history with writing female goddesses because I mean he did write Elastry and say that she wasn't anything like Artemis when she's literally exactly like Artemis so I mean just men writing women in general we don't have to go into it Charday. I'm gonna stop you right there but um I'm just pointing out okay, that okay, like okay. it's it's suspicious it's, it's weird suspicious it's weird we will be keeping our eye on that Mm-hmm. And last little point made on this, Mr. is a bitch <laughs> or imposed. Uh, someone wrote, I love her domains and her aesthetic, especially since I play spellcasters mostly, but her actions are just so wild. I know it's the usual gods are jerks and mysteries are part of her portfolio, but some of the stuff Mr. does just has me big sigh eyeing her. And this poster goes on to list the ways that she handles some of her chosen which are kind of like champ her version of champions and how she handles them so haphazardly and also something she does in her backstory that we will get into uh revolving characters known as the seven sisters and there are many replies to this comment explaining the nuances of mistra and saying things like we've been talking about, like, leave her alone. She's a neutral deity. Why are you, like, saying these things? I don't want to, like, point out all of these flaws that people point out at Mistra and say that there's no pushback. Because there are. There is pushback. Some people are defending her. Or some people have different views on her. But we're mostly focusing on the negative because we want to try to answer the question of why those negative opinions are there. And one of the replies to her her actions having a big side eye is someone replied so the truth about mistra is that it's really just vecna in disguise that's why nothing she does make any sense if she look if you look too closely at it so they're saying that mistra is vecna in disguise which if you don't know who vecna is very famous notorious villain in dungeons and dragons lore you might also know them from stranger things Basically, evil lich who becomes a god, super evil. So they're equating an evil lich to Mistra. Based on what? Based on what is my question? They don't say. (laughs) They just kind of say, oh, she's just evil like Vecna with literally nothing to back it up. But again, I wanted to like feature it because I'm like, okay, maybe we'll look for evil actions in our analysis, you know? Mm -hmm. They could have the very valid point. We'll give it the benefit of the doubt, as we always try to do. Mm -hmm. Those were the main points of discourse I could find on Reddit of, like, why people don't like her. But also, I asked our patrons on patreon.com slash creations what they thought or their opinions on why people might have hated Mistra. And I wanted to highlight some of their responses as well, because while some of them had no idea, which made me feel better because I also had no idea, (laughs) there were some of our some of our patrons did have 
theories. So Andrew Massey says, without spoiling too much of Baldur's Gate, you can learn some of this from the character Gale's origin story and the character creator. Mister is known for men- mentoring young male mages at a very young age, like Azuth, Elminster, and Gale of Waterdeep, and later becoming their lovers. Especially with some lore drops in Baldur's Gate 3, she is painted as a groomer. While Baldur's Gate 3 has really painted this version of her, the foundations were there, especially with Alminster. So Andrew is kind of leaning into that groomer accusation we started to see with the Harvey Weinstein accusation, which again, I think that's a bit extreme personally, like comparing anybody to that man. But uh, Nick Andrewson, uh, another of our patrons, said, I don't know much beyond the goddess of magic who the writers keep trying to kill or mess with for some reason. Carsis's folly, the spell plague, the time of troubles, just let the lady do her job, which I think was your sentiment <laughs> minutes ago. Leave her alone. <laughs> Absolutely. So general consensus that we will be, so these are the things that we're going to be bringing into our analysis in part three. General consensus of why people hate Mistra on the internet that was spurred by Baldur's Gate 3, but also there are some other undercurrents throughout Forgotten Realms lore. Number one, Mistra is a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Surprising. (laughs) Number two, Mistra has a history of grooming young men, which was very emphasized in Baldur's Gate 3. Number three, Mistra in the book versions of her is poorly written by Ed Greenwood, a man. And number four, Mistra doesn't give a fuck about good and evil so long as it serves magic. And this one people I think are the most confused by. Is this because she's a woman? Is it because she has a non-evil alignment? We'll look into it. We'll figure out the answers to those questions. And that's really all there is in this section. But I do, before we move on to part two, want to say as a disclaimer, on this podcast, I think... I think it's safe to say that we're all about complicated female characters here. We love complicated female characters. And we love female characters who can be evil or good or neutral. And specifically, we want to emphasize that evil actions don't have a gender. Just because Mistra is a female goddess doesn't mean she's not capable of evil actions. Right? Yeah. The readings of Baldur's Gate 3, Mistra specifically, as a groomer, are very serious. And we are not here to say that those interpretations are wrong in any way. Anyone can be groomed of any gender, of any sex. And there is a serious power difference between Mistra and literally anyone she bangs (laughs) that is questionable at the very least. And I just want to put that out there. That we're not trying to like discredit her like, oh, because she's a woman, she can't be a groomer. That's not that's what not saying. what we're saying, yeah. We just want to look at all of these different aspects of why people hate Mistra, figure out if they are true, if they're backed up by lore, and then see if we agree with some of the interpretations. And we want to find out if people hate Mistra because she has a history of doing heinous things to earn that reputation or if there's something else happening here because we're the slovenly sleuths, baby, and we are back in business. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Any other final declarations before we move on to part two, Lissa? Let's start sleuthing. (laughs) Except more confident. Let's start sleuthing. (laughs) That's the uh, the tagline for the slovenly sleuths. Let's start sleuthing. Sleuths be sleuthing. Sleuths be sleuthing. Let's sleuth on in (laughs) to part two. 
gender and magic context. Part two, gender and magic. 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 Wow. Sparkle. Post-production. <laughs> <laughs> Just made more work for myself. Oopsie. Oops. We're going to be talking about Mystra, but it's also important to understand where the links are between magic and gender. But specifically, the links between magic and gender and not in the context of witches specifically, which is what most of our previous episodes have been covering in the context anyway. But in this section specifically, when we're talking about magic and gender, I wanted to ask the question of why is magic so goddamn fucking feminine? Not just <laughs> in the real world, but also in D&D specifically. Why is there this affinity for women to be more prone or more capable of having magic where why where how why is there a link <laughs> between gender and magic good question <laughs> i know i i ask real good questions anyway <laughs> so to recap some of the some of the context we have covered with witches and witchcraft specifically and the links between femininity and Satan. So in episode 13, titled Women Are Monsters, we took a look at historical and religious links that were between women and Satan and also how femininity itself was portrayed or was seen as being monstrous due to religious and cultural or social reasons. In episode 24, that was titled, Which Witch is Witch, we looked at the sexism and misogyny and the need to control reproduction, which led to the witch trials where women and other genders were discriminated against and purged from society. And then briefly, we looked at the Baba Yaga saga, so episode 25, at the gendered ageism following the previous episode with witches as well. A lot of gender and magic links, but mostly to do with witches, witchcraft, and monster feminines. So not really whatever Mistra is, so a, a magical deity. Mm -hmm. So I began this, and my first instinct was correct, that TLDR the age-old phrase of, it's not just a D&D &D problem, it's a real-world problem, <laughs> was immediately the first thing that came up. Never heard of that before in my life. I don't know. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I've, this is the first time we've ever said it on this podcast. Mm -hmm. I began my research, and I found that there is actually a TV trope on tvtropes.com. The trope is called Magic is Feminine. And the trope says that female characters are more in touch with magic or are more mystical than their male counterparts. And they give an example of the token wizard usually being a female in a story. And by wizard, they just mean somebody who has knowledge of spells, somebody who has knowledge of demonic possession, who has knowledge of mythical creatures, and that those are typically female or feminine. They also go on to say that if the trope applies to male characters specifically, that often the male character has feminine traits compared to other male characters. And case in point for me was basically just being like, okay, well, Elminster, 
literally mm-hmm. turned into a woman. Mm-hmm. Not of his own yep. accord, but still did. And also, even when he was a male, or in his male form, I should say, before he was turned into a woman, he was still not the most masculine man you'd ever met. And we talked mm-hmm. about that on the episode as well. Some of the roots that this could stem from are that women are inherently known to be more intuitive, stereotypically anyway, more emotional, and be more closer to nature. They're more mysterious, they have more secret rituals, more secret practices, and women are also more delicate. And they, in the case of a D&D example, having a woman who uses magic you don't have to make her the melee fighter because women have strength caps. I don't know if you know this, but they can't be as strong <laughs> as men. And so they can just, you know, stand back, you know, do a little twirl over the finger mm. and, you know, cast a spell from far back and not be hit by a giant <laughs> goblin thing attacking anyone. Tell that to your uh, orc barbarian in my last campaign and my current half-elf fighter who <laughs> <laughs> are both. Melee characters and very strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they would not. They would not have been possible with the AD and D strength camp. And exactly. I take that as a compliment. Honestly, exactly. We strive to break stereotypes here. Fuck yeah. There's also some links to what they call women's mysteries. So traditions, secrets passed down from mother to daughter, and this sort of connects to magic in the way that magic is seen as, as this big secret this big mystery so women keeping secrets and passing down you know herbalism Mm -hmm. and uh reproduction skills back in the middle ages anyway because now they're all done by white men (laughs) that was mostly a joke (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just there are these big women's mysteries that get studied or well in the case of magic it gets studied. In the case of actually what doesn't get studied are actual women's issues because <laughs> why oh why would they study women's <laughs> issues? You would have an interest as anyone in magic and studying the secrets of magic, but studying the secrets of women and how women's bodies work? Absolutely no. not. This is the first time we're doing testing on period pads with actual blood. Oh, <laughs> this is one of the rants we had to cut, so I am like... <laughs> I'm holding myself in with all of the women and science and women like not being properly studied and the female anatomy. But God, we're aware. We're aware. We have to cut the rant. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But anyway, this is just go to show that magic and what we deem as quote unquote real world magic is actually also considered feminine. If we skip Disney magic and move on to the closest thing that we actually have to magic, which is religious practice, we see that there is a trend. And specifically for Mr. I thought that kind of like religion-based quote-unquote magic was relevant because Mr. herself is a deity. And I have, I took, I found a couple examples of where kind of religion links to femininity, but I'll give you my favorite one, which goes back to Greek history, Herodotus studied the Scythians. And I think we've mentioned the Scythians before on this podcast in our Amazon episode, I believe. Yep. 
Yep. And how Scythians were like believed to potentially be where the inspiration of Amazon culture as we know it Mm -hmm. got its first inspirations from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're back to talk about the Scythians. And Herodotus specifically about the Scythians mentions two groups of people called the Anarays and the Anarays, which are male diviners that have been afflicted, or this is what they say, that the, the culture says that they've been afflicted by Aphrodite with what they call a female disease. Now, do you want to know what this female disease is? There's, there are literally so many options, but my first instinct was just they get their periods. <laughs> I don't, I don't well, think that's the right answer, though. Well, not really, but also you're on the right track because they're female diseases. They're impotent. <laughs> what yeah i'm sorry (laughs) what so male dividers that have been afflicted by aphrodite with a female disease are just impotent is the explanation and yeah that's that's according to herodotus so well impotence means the, uh, the inability to perform right which is very characteristically a male thing so the <laughs> fact that they are blaming women like oh you're the reason i can't get it up is um wow that's that's a whole lot of wow uh right there uh-huh. and i wonder if it also has that connection to like witches and witchcraft and which is causing impotence mm-hmm. <laughs> and that being like the number one fear Of, like, why they were persecuted, Mm -hmm. probably. I'm going to go into that later, but yes, yes, Mm -hmm. you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. These Enaries and Anaries, these male diviners with this quote-unquote female disease, were described as being androgynous. So they'd supposedly been punished by Aphrodite to be impotent. And because of this, they essentially took up the appearance and the social roles of women as a result. Oh. Slay. Basically, these Aenaries and Aenaries are trans-shaman figures. So a link between kind of like femininity and magic, but also it's, I feel like it's just non-masculinity and magic instead of just femininity and magic. Because... They don't have traditionally masculine traits. And also mm-hmm. just traditionally masculine traits don't fit someone in a religious or magical setting. And like something like priests of Christianity, which is something that I'm familiar with, they're not seen as inherently quote unquote masculine. Mm-hmm. But does that make them feminine then? I mean, in the case of the real world example, okay, then they took up the appearance and social roles of women. But did they have any other choice? Sure. Just something to look out for is that is it that they're feminine or is it that they're just not masculine is mm. kind of my through line here, my big question as we go on. Sure. Mm-hmm. But speaking of femininity and masculinity, magic itself has been described to be gendered throughout history. And there's been a couple different kinds of quote unquote magic and both of which have had genders. Now, what our society now has been left with as a result is that magic is gendered as being feminine. But it, I kind of wanted to see why is that. And so I found mm-hmm. this one professor of history at Iowa State University called Michael D. Bailey, who has a theory on why magic became feminine. 
And he talks about how in history, these two kinds of gendered magic basically got convoluted in the 14th to 15th century, and they got confused and combined into basically just one, obviously for the detriment of femininity. And just as a point out to like, if he's saying that the combination of these gendered magics happened in the 14th to 15th centuries, the witch hunts happened from the 15th to the 18th centuries. So that makes sense on a timeline scale. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go into the two kinds of magic so that we can see how they combine together. And I'm using a source from a book called The Rootledge History of Medieval Magic by Catherine Ryder. And the specific chapter is called Magic and Gender. It was written in 2019. So she talks about the two kinds. So there's ritual magic, which is masculine, and popular magic, which is feminine. And popular magic and also devil magic, obviously, because witches, obviously. We'll start off with ritual magic, which I have dubbed the privileged magic. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So the privileged magic of men being the learned rituals and the studying of image text and the summoning of demons and drawing out magic circles, which were practiced by an educated clergy. So educated men specifically. Mm-hmm. Privileged ones because of restrictions on learning ritual magic. You needed to have a good education. You needed literacy in Latin, not very easy to get, access to books, mm-hmm. and knowledge of liturgy, essentially liturgy being worshipped by a religious group. Now, even when we're speaking about these educated clergy, they're coming from a religious background or in a religious setting. So they're already like non-masculine types of men. So just keep that in mind, I guess, Mm -hmm. as we go on. And one of the more interesting rituals that they were doing with this ritual magic was they wanted to gain the love or sexual favors of women. And one of the points to point out for this is that this is in in the confines of universities and clerical environments at the time where ritual magic was being practiced the majority of them were supposed to be celibate or practiced celibacy (laughs) so why would they be trying to use ritual magic to make draw circles into the ground and to study these magics to gain the love or sexual favors of women as celibates yeah that's a big oxymoron there fam i don't (laughs) i have studied monks a little bit with my history minor (laughs) and i think that kind of checks out a little bit because i know at least monks i know monks aren't exactly priests but they have like a history of being hella horny and like never actually being super punished for it so i wonder if that's part of it but i honestly i don't know but that's it's still weird <laughs> like of all the things like oh riches oh money which i'm sure they also performed rituals for mm-hmm. um, they also on top of all of that just wanted love and sexual favors mm-hmm. from women from women specifically mm-hmm. yeah so in terms of the gender of people practicing ritual magic i said men not because it was just men more because it was overwhelmingly men because sure privilege but anyway 
There were two quotes specifically by the author that came up in my research that I wanted to point out. The first one being instructions for learning ritual magic and basically gatekeeping it. And in my head, I was like, okay, does this link to gatekeeping just ritual magic or is this gatekeeping things like academia or is this similar somehow? The quote says from her source that you should not reveal your secrets to a woman nor a child nor an idiot, nor a drunk. Because those are all on the same level. Uh Uh-huh. Undesirables, basically. I mean, it's just the patriarchy all over again, (laughs) isn't it? Like you were saying earlier, like education and was really only attainable by those for a really long time throughout history for those who went into religion and who could go into religion not women Mm -hmm. Uh, only men could really become priests and monks so education was not only gatekept by gender it was gatekept by faith and by the patriarchal the patriarchal makeup of a lot of Christian-based faiths in the Western world. Mm-hmm. So it, it really just goes hand in hand with that. And it's ac- academia was gatekept because religion was gatekept and vice versa. They didn't want anybody other than themselves, the mm-hmm. men, to be able to access it. So that, unfortunately, tracks. And I hate it. <laughs> Thanks. So just to make sure that women, children, idiots, and drunks don't get (laughs) entry into anything that is learned. Mm -hmm. Because then they would become too powerful and then they would revolt and the men wouldn't have power anymore because they are terrified of anyone who would snatch away their power, which it's so weird. Maybe if you didn't treat people like pieces of garbage that didn't look like you, um, maybe they wouldn't want to tear you down. (laughs) Just a food for thought for that one. Mm Mm-hmm. The other one was that actually these educated clergy shit-talked women and also saw magic to be a female sin, specifically. <laughs> which to that, I just say, that's fucking hypocritical of you. <laughs> Excuse Obviously, me. yeah. Uh-huh. But I'm going to read you the quote. Catherine says about the clergy that arguably these men may have especially, may have been especially likely to regard magic as a female sin or to repeat misogynistic stereotypes about, quote, superstitious women who were lustful and easily deceived by the devil. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> We've talked about that before. We'll talk about it again. <laughs> As if their magic is any better than what, what feminine magic because of fucking privileged nonsense. And these are and these are just clergy. So like these are not even masculine men and they're still looking down on women, which is just mm-hmm. elitism and classism and bullshit. <laughs> yeah. It's bringing like all that basically into the picture too. Yeah. And also just like the fact that they even gendered magic at all is like a whole other can of worms. Like maybe just don't gender it, but obviously they did anyway because they had to make one better than the other and obviously the ritual magic seems to be the quote better, quote more desirable type of magic Mm -hmm. because it has links to masculinity for some fucking reason (laughs) Mm -hmm. so that's tldr for the masculine magic aka the ritual magic aka the privileged people magic now moving on to the popular magic and devil worship aka the non-privileged and dumb people magic club welcome (laughs) i uh, do i get a membership yes am i part of this club you're automatically a part of this club unless you enter the other club which 
Yay. is impossible, especially for you as a woman. Even though I have, you know, a master's degree and not allowed <laughs> like an education. Not allowed. I'm so sorry. Not allowed. I am a disgrace. You're only you're only allowed to believe in horoscopes and collect um, mm. rocks. Uh, well, I mean that's fun too. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. That seems like a wonderful life. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That was practiced by women and other non-masculine genders, especially with uh, devil worship. So thanks to the Malleus Maleficarum, which we've talked about before, which basically said that women are so horny, they being demons, they have this innate carnal lust that makes them perform love and sex magic. But they're also easily fooled by the devil and, you know, they're so dumb that they, you know, begin working with him and stuff like that. They're using this quote-unquote magic, this common people magic, to cause, for example, impotence, infertility, and they steal penises. And, you know, people in power, in privilege, couldn't have that. They were scared of that. And I think a lot of that stemmed from a fear of women's sexuality and just general misogyny. And also just the links that... We talked about in the context of previous episodes, the links between women and the devil as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even when you remove kind of like the devil, the non, the poor non-privileged magic, it's still all about healing, love, sex, and fertility, quote unquote, magic. So common people magic, so to speak. Dumb people stuff. Mm. And it's just sort of laughing at the lack of privilege and access to education, the access to books, the access to learning because of gatekeeping that ritual magic was being done. Therefore, it's the lesser form of magic, which because women didn't have access to books and privilege, it became known as the women's club. So knowledge of herbalism, knowledge of reproduction, sexual health, sharing information freely and not gatekeeping it equals less than, obviously. Mm, a product of their own design. Yeah, yeah. And it just stems from problems like elitism, classism, privilege, and also sexism because masculinity fears the feminine power to cause impotence. Obviously. There it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> Impotence. Men hate feeling it like they're going to be impotent. There it is. Found it. Because masculinity in and of itself, even when it's in the clerical sphere, is just so scared and so tied to the pee-pee that the penis people are scared <laughs> of, ooh, feminine wiles and their magical powers <laughs> to be able to manipulate them and take away their manhood. God Ooh. forbid something happen. So yeah, conspiracy for me for this section is, does it stem from just men not understanding women at all whatsoever throughout time? Is that just <laughs> what this is? And fearing what they don't know? Is that just like the inherent problem to everything? God, is it even a conspiracy? That just sounds like straight up facts <laughs> to me, girl. Like... <laughs> <laughs> they fear what they don't know because they choose to not know it, right? Yeah. Like, it's a product of their own design. They otherize these people. And when you otherize people, you there's a sense of fear because you don't understand them. But you don't understand them because you've outcast them to the fringes of society. Mm -hmm. So it's really a product of, like, your own design. Like, it's your own fucking fault. And then you put all of this 
emphasis on your own self because obviously nobody else is better than you. You've otherized them. So naturally you're like, oh, my form is the best form. I'm going to hold all of my self-worth to a penis if I if that is, you know, what your form is. Mm-hmm. And then it's just, it's like, it's a circle. It's just a circle. They created these problems literally for themselves because they want to like separate society. Your conspiracy, in my opinion, is not a conspiracy. It just makes perfect logical sense to me, a cis woman. (laughs) Like, it just makes sense. When you say circle, I'm just thinking, I'm just picturing a group of men in a circle jerk and I'm just like... Yeah, that that's it. That's that's the picture in my head. It's just a group of circle jerks. Oh my god. <laughs> the patriarchy is just one big circle jerk. You heard it here first. I'm sure somebody said it before, but you heard it here first. Like the patriarchy and all of the problems in the patriarchy is a circle and it's just one big circle jerk and they're all crying and it's just because it's their own fucking fault, but they blame other people for it. Like it's just what it is. <laughs> Oh, I love how we're going to have to tie all this to Mistra. (laughs) Mistra and the circle jerk of patriarchy. That should be the title of this episode. (laughs) There we have it. The title. Got it. Anyway, to sort of wrap this all up, it's not a D&D problem. It's a real world problem. The links between magic and gender are inherent. And it's just Mm -hmm. a big circle jerk of the patriarchy, basically, is where I'm coming at. And yeah, the theory was by Michael D. Bailey that the two, the privileged and non-privileged clubs, were basically confused together throughout time. Mm -hmm. I mean, one was dealing with summoning demons in Latin from books, and the other was having sex with the devil and, you know, doing his bidding and storing penises in cupboards because, as you do, obviously... I mean, okay, yeah, devil, demons, and then you just kind of bundle that up. It becomes the same thing. And then with all the femininity that goes with kind of both, let's just put it all on femininity and make it feminine. Yeah, because femininity is bad and magic is bad. Henceforth, magic equals femininity. Yeah. Kind of. But also, like, my point from earlier that it's... It's non-masculine. I think that goes into a lot of it where it's when it's not masculine, it's not and you don't have a third alternative because that's a binary is it's either Uh feminine or it's masculine. And if you have to put it in anything else, it's like, well, it's not masculine. So we can't call it masculine, even though it's like ritual magic and quote unquote masculine, but it's still not masculine. So it's more feminine. Therefore, we can just put it in feminine. And because there's no alternative. Yeah, cause, just because. Yeah, just because there's, no, just other there's <laughs> no third option. So yeah, my question kind of going into part three and our meat juice, juice meat analysis with Mistra is, is there a gender to Mistra's magic? And overarchingly in, in magic in the Forgotten Realms itself, is it like feminine? Is it masculine? Or is it non-masculine therefore ascribed femininity as a result anyway so on that note let's go into part three the mistra analysis meat juice juice meat wow hello harlots charday here with an exciting announcement we have partnered with gave tea give you, our amazing listeners, exclusive savings when shopping for your next piece of gaming gear. Game Tea 
is an artist-owned business specializing in homemade gaming accessories, including clothes, dice, and more. Seriously, their stuff is so freaking cool. I have a flask from them, and it was my go-to DMing prop when we played in person. It says Dungeon Master's Homebrew on it. Iconic. If you want to expand your treasure trove of TTRPG goodies and support the podcast by helping us get a little commission, head on over to gametea.co.uk. That's G-A-M-E-T-E-E.co.uk. Use code SLOVENLYTROLLS, all one word, at checkout to receive 5% off your purchase and knock off a chunk of that pesky sales tax. Now let's get back to the show. Part three, the Mistra analysis meat juice. Juice meat? Meat juice. <laughs> that we slurp slurp all day. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, dear. So on that juice meat, let's recap what we knew about Mistra before doing this episode. Most of what we knew about Mistra just came from, as we discussed earlier, Episode 19, Gaslight Gatekeep, Gender Bender. That was when we, and mostly me, I read <laughs> The Elminster Making of a Mage by Ed Greenwood, mm -hmm. where Mistra acted as Elminster's mommy replacement and magic mentor, where he seeks out Mistra to teach him magic. She recognizes his power and capability and then eventually turns him into Elmara as a test because quote-unquote, being feminine, being Elmara, she has more capabilities of magic. Allegedly. Yeah, yeah, allegedly. So, yeah, weird sexual relationship with them. Very weird, very awkward. And uh, TLDR, they just bang on an altar towards the end. Hot, but also, ew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's weird vibes. Their whole, like, dynamic was real weird, even just in the one book. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's something. And also the fact that she hides her identity from him as well. Oh, right. Yeah, she did. She mm -hmm. like disguised herself as the companion that mm -hmm. he interacted with. And he's like, she's like, oh, wait, guess who it is? It's me, Mistra. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my God, I love you. She's like, oh, my God, I love you, too. And they bang on an altar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's about it. That's all we knew. That's literally our first and only impression of Mistra. All the way up until a couple of weeks ago when we both ended up on Baldur's Gate 3 TikTok and everybody was really mad about Mistra. And we're just like, huh? The weird one who banged Elminster? What do you mean? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? What, what, what do you happened? mean? She didn't give off weird vibes, you know, earlier. <laughs> not at all. Not, not at all groovy <laughs> or um, just weird, awkward, and just gross at all whatsoever. But anyway. When we started research on Mistra, we basically just found out that there are not one, two, or three. There are four iterations of Mistra. Because as uh, what that guy on Reddit said, she just keeps dying. <laughs> like, oh my god, stop dying, lol. <laughs> just stop dying and stop coming back. The versions of which are Mistril, Mistra 1.0, Mistra slash midnight 2.0 and then mistra 3.0 <laughs> very original very original not confusing at all one bit nope <laughs> it's kind of, it kind of like reminds me of 
the different operating systems of, you know, Max. First there's Sierra, you know, then there's Lion something or other, 10.XO something or other OS. None of it makes any sense. I thought it reminded me of the different versions of TSR. (laughs) (laughs) Also that, yeah. TSR1, TSR2, and TSR3. (laughs) Mr. 1, Mr. 2, Mr. 3, and also Mistrill. (laughs) Which is arguably more confusing because there's four instead of three. Aren't they comparing Mistrill to TSR? TSR was basically a shitstorm, all three of them, in a way. So Two of them for sure. Two of them for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then Mistra is a, a shitstorm all around, for sure. Mm. At least from what I understand of her. But we are about to fucking dive right deep into it, man. So let's let's fucking do this. I have my analysis cap on. Let's let's do it. Okay. Let's dive into Mistra. Not in that way, but you know, in the analysis way for meat juice, juice meat slurps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm I'm getting into it. So first Mistra, not Mistra, because Mistral, first Mistral. <laughs> she appears in 2E and was referenced a couple times in 3.5E. Now she was, as I think I mentioned, she was part of the Forgotten Realms creation myth story where she was the, what did I say, fourth? Fifth. Well, if you count Ao as the first one. Um, She was the fifth created deity in the creation myth story of the Forgotten Realms. She was created from a dispute between her two mothers, the twins, Salune and Shar. So Salune and Shar in the myth story were basically arguing over giving Shantea who wanted warmth in order to create life and plant matter and start growing things. And they kept fighting. So Saloon becomes enraged and she flings some of her magical energy at Shar. The magical energy, when it hits Shar, captures some of Shar's magical energy and then kind of combines into one big ball of magical energy, which results in the creation of not only Mistrill, but also in something called the Weave. And you might be asking, well, what's the Weave? That's such like a vague name if you don't know Forgotten Realms history. In the Forgotten Realms, raw magic essentially just exists everywhere. And the Weave is a barrier or a gate between raw magic and the world itself. The weave allows mortals to access magic, but also be protected from the harmful effects of raw magic. So it's kind of like sunscreen from the sun. And it's described in one of the source books as being a blanket that the world is embroidered on, a web on which mortals walk. And essentially, magical classes that use magic, knowingly or unknowingly, draw on the magic from the weave, and that's where they get the magic, to use and create things and whatever it is they're doing with their magic. So Mistral, because she was created at the same time as the weave, she's also part of the weave, but the weave is also part of her. They're like one and the same. They're linked. They're interlinked. And the thing about the weave is that the weave and holding in this, holding back this raw magic is really tricky. And the weave unravels really easily. So one of the 
things about Mistra, one of her tasks as being both part of the weave and kind of like the controller of it, she has to not only control it, but to also keep it repaired and to keep it from bringing the raw magic to mortals. More closely looking at Mistral, kind of outside of her being the weave, she is known as not only like the first, I guess, version of Mistra, but she is already known as the mother of all magic or Our of Lady of Spells got to be the mother of all magic yeah obviously 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 not even surprised at all mommy Mm -hmm. magic Mm -hmm. there's a reason why literally on our outline we call her mommy magic i think we came up with that placeholder title before we knew any of her other (laughs) titles so the fact that we predicted that is i don't know if that says more about us or more about the forgotten realms and calling every deity that's a woman a mother Mm -hmm. which i think for miss drill it does kind of fit a little bit more than maybe some other deities we've looked at but it's still a pattern we see all the, all the time. Mm. It's always mother something. Mm-hmm. So she, in her alignment, is said to be chaotic neutral. And I have some doubts about that. But more on that later. Mm. Uh, she is the goddess of magic, of spells, creativity, invention, knowledge, and time travel. So she's said to have taught the first spellcaster of the realms ever. Because, you know, mommy magic. And she's also known as being the muse, and that's one of her titles. That's because she imbues all inventors, authors, and songwriters with a Mm. creative spirit. Which in the bigger context of things, and I'll go into it later, but it's kind of icky. I mean, I get being a muse, but because of how she's described. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. It's a bit suspicious. Yeah. But all in all, she's a very super powerful girl boss. So she has ultimate control over all magic. She can shape it to her will. She can cast as many spells as she wants. No limits. She can cast any types of spells that she wants. No limits. She's not affected by normal levels of magic. So you have to reach really big levels of magic in order to fuck with her. Uh, She can also withdraw someone's access to the weave and prevent them from either using certain spells, having certain types of spells, or getting magic from the weave whatsoever. And that goes over to reach deities also. So she can prevent other deities from getting access to the weave and getting spells from the weave. Girl boss. Love that for her. I know. One of the special things about Mistral compared to Mistra is that she is also the mother of time travel, which was very specific Ooh. to her. And that's kind of a lesser known fact because it, yeah. it's even forgotten from some of the other source books. Mm-hmm. So much so that she doesn't really have a name that's related to time travel. I've called her the mother of time travel, but she did, that's not one of her names. She doesn't have a name related to time travel, even though supposedly in her interest between magic, being the mother of magic and being the mother of time travel, her interest lay in time travel over magic at the point in time where she was alive. So she watches over time, over the timeline, and controls gatekeeps time travel. Essentially, if you want to travel through time, you have to do it through her. 
and you have to do it with her terms or not at all. And if you fuck with her, you're yeeted out of time travel and brought immediately back to your own time. <laughs> Yeet. Yeet. <laughs> Talk shit get hit. <laughs> it said that she took an interest in time travel because she understood that spellcasters would eventually get an interest in traveling time. Oh, and she was sure. like so above and beyond everyone else that she already knew mm -hmm. that people would be interested and she kind of predicted the future a little bit and then took control of time travel for herself yeah that that makes sense mm -hmm. i mean like the ultimate the penultimate and a bunch of additions for spellcasters is wish so you could wish basically everything and it because it could literally fuck with the space-time continuum. So even though time travel isn't necessarily like within every edition of D&D is like, here, you could do this. Here's the rules for it. It still kind of extends mm -hmm. all the way up through the editions. And I never thought that there was a god of time travel, but it totally makes sense that Mistra would be one of them. Because what other way in the Forgotten Realms, could you time travel? Magic. Mm -hmm. Who holds magic? Mm -hmm. Mistral slash Mistra. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes total sense. Girl boss. Love that for her. Love thinking ahead. Actually, it's funny that you bring up Wish. Wish was mentioned as one of the ways that you could time travel. But also, even if you do use Wish, it's restricted to the way that she controls time travel, which is through mm -hmm. her own use of a spell so with the restrictions of Wish, you also get the restrictions of her additional spell, and Wish is limited, but also you get the detriments of both. That's how fucking on it she is. Yeah. Love that. So a little bit more about what she's like. Reading into this, I immediately got stereotype vibes when I read into Mistral specifically. She's the epitome of a stereotype. Like I don't I don't know how to tell you this, but there's no creativity when it came to her description, uh, her personality, yeah. her 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 person. God. Well who who's surprised? Literally every female character in the Forgotten Realms is like that. <laughs> so I'd be shocked if she wasn't a stereotype. But what what specific stereotype are you talking about? That's what I have a question of. My dear listeners, we're talking about the manic pixie dream girl. Great. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> yeah. She is a beautiful human with rainbow colored hair, radiant skin, and burning blue eyes. She wears a simple, elegant blue white robes of heavy, fine silk. In her personality, she is flirtatious, flighty, and persistent. She is both light-hearted, but also deadly serious. She changes her mood and her state of mind from moment to moment, and she is also too trusting and innocent at times, hmm. which is to say that she's just coded as being neurodivergent. She's quirky. Sure. And yeah. that's just neurodivergent. Mm -hmm. And she's hot because she's beautiful and actually hot, but also she's unpredictable, which is sexy obviously right i'm spontaneous let's uh -huh. go like walk in the rain like you've never done it let's spin around and yeah very manic pixie dream girl vibes mm -hmm. i can totally see where you got that from yeah for sure she's said to be someone who generally tries to do what is right but to that i kind of ask why though because because the phrasing is she wants to do what's right not what's right for the weave 
not what's right for magic, not what's right for time travel. She generally wants to do what's right. For who? For everyone? Because that's not neutral. She's supposed to be chaotic neutral. But doing Mm. things that are right, isn't that something that's good aligned? Anyway, my conspiracy. She overreacts when she feels tricked. And that's kind of like the only point where I was like, okay, is this the reason why they hate her? Because otherwise, unless you hate Manic Pixie Dream Girls, which I assume you're a male player playing 2E, you probably don't. Right. So why would you be pissed off at her at this point? Or maybe you're not. And maybe it just comes in later editions of Mistra. But that's like the only thing that maybe was like sus. Oh, she has emotions and she overreacts. So mm-hmm. that's, <laughs> that's why we don't like her. Yeah, sure. But also all gods do that. So if that was a reason, I'd be like, come on. Mm-hmm. Every god is like an emotional mess. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> Even if they're neutral in Forgotten Realms, because neutrality doesn't fucking exist in the Forgotten Realms most of the time, which sucks because it should, but Mm. it doesn't. Unless you're a nature deity and then you're just neutral. And even then, it's inconsistent throughout the editions. Yeah, that's true. She's also painted quite youthful, and specifically I say youthful as a teenager because... Oh boy, Uh, she hates being mothered by Salune, and she rebels against... Salune's good intention suggestions. Salune is also described as being smotheringly maternal towards her, which is just. Remember how I said mm-hmm. she was a muse to people? Right. Right. And she has teen vibes. And she's Ooh. basically a teen manic Ooh. pixie dream girl. It's giving grown men being obsessed with anime schoolgirls. <laughs> like, uh-huh. yikes. It's, yikes. Not, it's not a good look. It's not a good look at all. It it it, no. it makes me uncomfortable. I'm I'm not comfortable. Yeah. Uncomfy. Uncomfy. Now, obviously we know that Mistral turns into Mistra 1.0. So, let's talk about the fall of Mistral. And in order to talk about the fall of Nist- Mistral, we have to talk about Netheril, which is a human empire in Faerun. Mistral has a priesthood at this point. They collect prospect wizards to turn into archwizards who have innate spellcasting. And it's said that specifically young men, not because it was only men, but this was in the context of talking about one specific man that they Mm. brought in who became... I guess, the domino that felled all the other dominoes and led to Mistral dying. Right. So it's not to say that they are all men, but the three arch wizards that ever existed for Mistral were all men. Hmm. For why? It's That's also strangely not in a pattern that Forgotten Realms usually has, which is if there's a female deity, they're going to make it a point in the lore to say, well, most of the priests are women. But this doesn't seem like the case mm-hmm. in this. And I'll say, like, spoiler for my part of the section, it never is. Like, they never, they literally never mention once, like, oh, most priests of Mistra, Mistril are women. No. In fact, it's mostly male-coded, which is very strange and not, like, Forgotten Realms, D&D lore at all. That goes completely against the grain of everything else we've ever seen. 
and that you ask a good question for why i don't know because again again magic is feminine in D and mm-hmm. women and feminine people have more draws to magic and more power in magic than then why are there priest women yeah where 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 are the women where yeah why is it young men why are all the arch wizards men yeah exactly why are they men coded why are wizards male coded in D? full stop because that's also something i'll talk about in my section but i'm getting ahead of myself so keep going with natural <laughs> <laughs> i have a whole other rant plan for that don't you worry so the specific one that they talk about, the second arch wizard specifically of the three, is called Carsis. And the first red flag is that his name has the word sus in it. Car-sus. Suspicious. The dude is suspicious and he causes the fall of Mistral. How dare. I know. So a couple of things happen to lead up to Mistral falling. One is that the first arch wizard ever disappears. Nobody knows where he went, so he's gone. So now there are only two left. The second one being Carsis. And the other thing being that evil slug-like creatures called Faerim coming in from somewhere out in the world and causing people to flee some of the lower cities. So the first wizard disappears and these Faerim creatures are attacking Netheril. Now, Carsis, for some reason or other, feels responsible and kind of wants to show off a little bit because he's been working on a real big spell, a spell that is specifically 12th level, and it's the only level 12 spell that's ever been created. And of course, this is the point in time where he wants to try it out. But I had a question because isn't the max cap still in this day and age in 5e, 9th level, so you can't go above a 10th level spell i will get into it in my section but yes <laughs> there's a reason for that though i will get into it <laughs> so what does Carsus do he has this level 12 spell so he uses this level 12 spell do you want to know what the level spell does it steals powers of a deity do you want to know who he steals the powers from because okay i'll tell you his manic pixie dream mistress. Shocking. I'm shocked. Should he have? No. Did he? Yes. Did he also regret it? Yes. Did he fuck around <laughs> and find out? Also, yes. Good. Do you remember how I said what her role is and how important she is to magic and raw magic? Mm-hmm. And then when you take away her power, what happens to the weave? So... Karsus fucketh around, Karsus done findeth out, and essentially he, for a second, for like, I don't know how many minutes, he becomes a god. But his body cannot handle all of that, and he just insta-dies. And what happens is that Netheril, which is essentially a bunch of floating islands which are held up by magic, obviously when magic ceases to exist because a weave breaks, because Mistral has no power, because it's given to Carsus, all of these islands fall. So it's all death, destruction. This dude dies, and he's falling to his death, and he's watching all of this death and destruction of his home going, oh no, I've done a big oopsie. He regrets his actions, obviously. His punishment for eternity is essentially to relive that moment where he sees his uh, people 
falling into their deaths. So normal magic ceases to exist. No one can really do anything because if magic doesn't exist, you can't use magic to fix the non-magic. Islands are falling out of the sky. You can't really pick them up either. And so what ends up happening is Mistral sacrifices herself in order to save the weave. So this comes into my conspiracy theory. How I think that, okay, she is somewhat neutral, but also she's doing a whole lot of good for somebody who is neutral. She not only sacrificed herself for the weave, but she also sacrificed herself to save humans. Like, how is that neutral? She's trying to do what's right. Right for who? Right for the weave or right for everyone? Because it's not said specifically that she's doing what's right for the weave only. Because D&D does that in early editions. When they're doing something that's true neutral only for something else, they specifically state the something else. She's not stated as doing it only for the weave or only for magic. So this version of her, I could claim, is good aligned. She also distrusts but doesn't hate Shar, her other mother, who Shar has been trying to basically take her power for centuries, but she doesn't even hate her. She's just like distrustful of her. So how how is that chaotic? Yes, but neutral? I don't know. For me, that's giving Mistral as good aligned. And I guess to finish off this section, she's just a fucking stereotype. It's fucking gross. She's neurodivergent coded. She's basically a teenager and properly innocent. But she's still called a mother. A mother of magic. And she's everyone who's a magic user's personal muse. A personal muse. Like, I don't... how. How is that not fucking gross? Trick question. It is fucking gross. (laughs) Especially when you consider who's playing this game. If it's anyone who is middle-aged fucking men lusting over a teenage manic pixie dream girl. Like, I'm sorry. That's no. Like, I'm so uncomfortable with that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's that's Mistral for you. The rise and fall of Mistral. (laughs) That's just her first iteration, man. There's like three more we got to get through. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so um, I have the absolute pleasure, honor of doing the rest of Mistra, basically picking up where Mistral left off. So I'm just going to hop on to it and I will do my best to differentiate between Mistra 1.0, Mistra 2.0 slash Midnight and Mistra 3.0. I'm just going to kind of pick up where you left off, Liz. I'm going to start out with a story time so we can kind of paint the picture of Mistra's history throughout the Forgotten Realms. And then we'll kind of end on analyzing her more general information. So her abilities, relationships, worshippers, etc. And also kind of compare, you know, where she ends up in Forgotten Realms lore compared to where she started as a manic pixie teenage (laughs) dream girl was definitely 100% chaotic good and definitely not chaotic neutral because I agree. I don't think from what you presented in Mistral, she doesn't seem very neutral at all. And there are even times in Mistra's canon lore that I would argue the same. Let's get into it. Are you ready for a story time? Do you have popcorn? Do you have your little, are you sitting like cross-legged on a comfy little pillow? Because we're about to get into Mr. 1.0 story time. (laughs) Let's do it. I'm sitting cross-legged. I have pillows. Perfect. 
I have a blanket. Let's go. Excellent. Okay. So we're just going to pick up right where you left off. So Mr. 1.0 is the reincarnation of Miss Drill. And she kind of repairs the weave in that time, does all the fun shenanigans with that, restores magic. But also, she does a lot of fucking shady ass shit <laughs> as Mistra 1.0. And I think this is the version of Mistra that people have the most problems with. And I think there are some pretty good reasons for that. So in her time as Mr. 1.0, she has a lot of dalliances with her worshippers. So Mr. 1.0, I believe, is the Mistra from the Elminster book that you read. So she dallies with Elminster. She dallies with someone named Samaster. And there's also a potential dalliance with Azuth, who is seen as her underling slash advisor. And there's a big power imbalance there, right? Like that... That lines up with like the grooming vibes that people are getting, or at least at the very least, like a power imbalance thing. So as soon as she goes from Manic Pixie Dream Girl, she just does like a hard turn to be like, I want to have a very inappropriate relationship with my male followers, and I'm just going to bang a lot of them. So that's strange. That's weird. Is that a natural progression for Manic Pixie Dream Girl? I don't know. And then the other thing that she does in this time as Mr. 1.0 is she conceives the Seven Sisters. I will not be going super into depth with who the Seven Sisters are. This is a very TLDR, but I thought it was worth mentioning because, again, I think this is a very valid reason why people do not like Mistra. It's this Mr. 1.0 shady behavior. So Mr. 1.0 basically inhabited the body of a mortal woman named Elue, and she basically possessed Elue and conceived the seven sisters, so seven daughters. So they were as much her daughters as Elue's and her husband's, Dornil Silverhand. Elue eventually died from the possession because it was just too much magic to handle, and Dornil eventually abandoned his family. So that's literally TLDR. But that's just, can we just call a spade a spade? That's just sexual assault, right? Like Mistra possessed somebody the husband was not aware that his wife was possessed and she had sexual relations with somebody who could not consent to having sexual relations with her that's just let's call it what it is that's not good yikes Ew. no that is yeah no that's that's gross that's that's some shady shit there yeah yeah so it's in this time as Mr. 1.0, directly after like being with super innocent Mistrill, she does all of this shady shit after repairing the weave. And it's detailed in some of the some of the source books, but also I think some of the novels, which we didn't have time to read. Mm-hmm. So she might have done some other shady shit that I'm not mentioning, but those are the ones that I found. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So directly after that is when something called the Time of Troubles happens. Now, the Time of Troubles is a time in Forgotten Realms lore where Ao, Big Daddy God, here he is. Oh, he's here. Second mention. He created technically Mistra with Salune and Char. Now he's back. He condemned all the gods to walk around in their avatar forms. And during this Time of Troubles, they're obviously, the gods are very vulnerable. So this is a time where Mr. 1.0 gets captured by another god named Bane, who is an evil god. And after she escapes, she is actually killed again 
by a god named Helm, who is a neutral deity, and he guards basically the divine gate. After she tries to return back to her plane, she doesn't want to be on this plane of existence anymore. Valid. There is a lot of shit going on. But Helm was like, no, you shall not pass. And she was like, but I want to. And he's like, no, you can't. And she tried anyway, and then he killed her because <laughs> he, he warned her, and then he killed her. What a pointless death. Like, I know. Good reason, I guess. Time of troubles. She didn't want to be around all these gods as avatars. She was just tortured and captured by Bane. Like, I get it. But yeah, definitely not as, I would say, like dramatic of a reason as Mistral's death, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's how Mr. 1.0 dies. Does all this shady shit. Time of troubles happens. Then she is killed by Helm. After that, during the Time of Troubles, this mortal woman named Midnight is chosen to ascend to godhood and essentially replace her. So, like, the essence of Mistra is put into this human woman, and they are essentially the same person, but it's around this time that Mistra starts, I would argue, getting more humanoid traits because she is now merged with a human woman. And Mistra 2.0 slash Midnight ascends along with some other mortals, including a god named Siric, who will pop up a little bit later. During this ascension, Mistra 2.0 uh, merged with the nature of the realms and changed magic once again forever because she is the weave and the weave is her. As she created the weave a second time, <laughs> a bunch of magic spells were lost and destroyed. I think including the one that the guy who killed her the first time made. Like, she just flat out destroyed that spell. That doesn't exist anymore. And she opened up magic so that casters didn't have to specialize in a certain field of study, creating, quote, general arcanists in the process. And then the biggest change that Mr. 2.0 did was that nobody is allowed to cast spells above 10th level anymore. <laughs> She's like, fuck that shit. You're not allowed to do that anymore. I got killed once. Then a time of troubles happened. I'm fixing this. I mean, she literally got her powers taken away by a level 12 spell. If anyone yeah. were to come around and be like, oh, yeah, I want to use anything above a level 10 spell. I'd be like, fuck no. Fuck you. Fuck no. Fuck you. Not giving you the power to do that. Because as I as I said, like, it's already you can't fuck with her. Unless you have real big magic mm -hmm. shit. So, fuck you. I'm not giving you magic shit to deal with me. So, you could stay down there and do that under level 10 spells. Absolutely. It killed her once already. Yeah, so I really like that. I didn't know that's why spells only went up to 9th level canonically in the mechanics, but that is the canonic reason why it is the way that it is. And I think that's a really interesting piece of lore. Credit where credit is due. I really like that. Um, I don't like that it took so long to do that now that we know the story, but it did happen. <laughs> so, yeah. After this, I'll just say some stuff happened, but to keep this story as TLDR as humanly possible, for a while, everything was hunky-dory, dot, 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 until the Fire Nation attacked. And by Fire Nation, I mean Char, my namesake. Not really. I wasn't named after her, but I like to think that I was. Until Char created the Shadow Weave. Because as Lissa said, Char has always hated Mistra. Mistra's always been a little bit like more neutral, doesn't want to like hate one of her quote mothers. Well, no, she no, she distrusted Char and never hated her, but did she, 
but she did side with more so with Salune against Char. Right. And gave Salune more power in order to put Char behind, it wasn't really behind bars, but it was to overpower Char, who was the darkness, and Salune had more power to fight her Mm -hmm. and put her in her place. Right, but Mistra slash Mistral never hated Char. Ever. No, 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 she never ha- hated her. Yeah, she was she was mistrustful, but she never hated her. Shar, you can't say the same. Shar fucking hated her guts. She hated yeah. her power. She hated she existed. And she held onto, onto this grudge for a very long time until she came up with a plan to come up with something called the shadow weave. And the shadow weave is basically a mirror image of the weave because she studied what Mistra did and she basically created like a mirror image of it. But instead of like overarching magics the shadow weave really just applied to like darker magics like necromancy and there's a big plot point in all of 3.5 lore of char luring mages to the dark side to build up her power and this came to a head when eventually char did get enough power because she teamed up with Siric, one of the other mortals that was ascended to godhood along with Midnight. And together, they killed Mistra. Again! <laughs> <laughs> so her mom killed her, question mark? It was, like, it was... It yeah. Was, in, 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 she wasn't really participating in the creation, but um, she got yeeted at, and then, yeah. Yeah. So she is... Mr. 2.0 Midnight is no more. <laughs> She's dead. And wh- what do you think was, what do you think happened after that? If you guessed the weave did some fucking I was about to shit, say, like, the weave, the weave fucking, like, her dying that many times, it's gonna leave a mark, especially because she's the one in yeah. control of the weave. It's gonna do some weird fucking magical shit, isn't it? I don't, I don't know about islands falling anymore, but um, some, something's gonna happen. I mean, it's worse. It's definitely worse. It's It caused this wonderful little thing that I think we've come across in our research a couple times, but we never quite knew what it was. The killing of Mr. 2.0 is what caused the spell plague <laughs> in Forgotten Realms lore. That sounds really cool. It is a very cool name uh, for something not so cool that happened. <laughs> so... Magic went cuckoo bananas is what I have written down. TLDR, thousands of mages were driven insane or destroyed, and many planes of existence were shifted and destroyed. So, well, listen, raw magic is raw magic. Like, it's not, it's not meant for mortals. And without the weave, it, it, it destroys. So, yeah, I, you fuck around and you find out, really. Literally. So now that the spell plague is happening, Mistra's fucking gone. There's actually no mention of Mistra in any fourth edition D&D book. She is D.E.D. dead, gone for a very long time. But during this time in fourth edition, there were actually two novels that were published during the fourth edition era that detailed her eventual resurrection because she does come back as she do. And these two books are Elminster Enraged from 2012 and The Herald from 2014, both written by Ed Greenwood. And really, I I just looked at the uh, synopsis of them, and all you need to know is Elminster did it. (laughs) He brought her back, which if you're shocked, you shouldn't be. Because of course it was Elminster. Of course it was Elminster. Yeah, naturally. And uh, so Mr. 3.0 is now in full effect, but there is... Not a lot of information on Mr. 3.0, because as we say on this podcast, 
all the time. Fifth edition is fifth edition, and it fucking hates lore for some reason. So the only thing I was able to find definitively from fifth edition in the source books is there's a quote from Sword Coast Adventures Guide that basically says, since the end of the most recent sundering, both Mistra and the Weave have returned to their roles of centuries past, and spells and magic items are more reliable than they had been while the spell plague raged. So that's really <laughs> all there is to Mistra uh, in terms of like where she is in the story. I saw some discourse that Mr. 3.0 isn't like even a new Mistra, but an amalgamation of literally all her past selves and all of her personalities. I don't know if that's 100% true. I don't know if she's a totally different person because I just looked at the source books. But mm. when you hear me refer to Mr. 3.0, it's just Mistra from 5th edition. Okay. That's the story time. That's the uh, general overarching. This is how Mr. interacts with the entire world state. So my general impressions of that was Mr. 1.0 seems to be the very problematic one. And uh, Midnight seems to be the one that has the most lore about her. And then Mr. 3.0, there's literally nothing about her. Except I'm assuming what is in the Baldur's Gate 3 game that we haven't played because that uses 5th edition rules, I think. Mm-hmm. So we can't use anything from that game, Saws. <laughs> We're just going to say she. there's not a lot of information on her. It all goes to show that um, you bang once on an altar and the other one's <laughs> tied to you forever and will resurrect you Sure, all the time. That's how that works. Uh-huh. That's certainly one way to do it. Just groom somebody <laughs> to be your everlasting servant. Yikes. I hated the way that I just worded that. I actually made myself shiver. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that went dark for from you for the Rip. first time in a long time. And it wasn't me making it dark. <laughs> Mr. does some pretty dark shit. So, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> Usually I'm all about the dark shit. But, um, yeah, no, that's 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 problematic dark shit. And that's not, that's yeah. not cool. This There's a line. There's a line that draws, yeah. that goes past the line. okay so let's get into her general information now that we kind of have an idea of the different mistras throughout forgotten realms canon lore so uh some of this stuff we will kind of analyze a little bit deeper but a lot of it really it definitely crosses with the mistral stuff so mistra goes by the Lady of Spells, Mother of All Magic, the Hidden One in Rashomon, but also the Lady of Mysteries, which I thought was kind of interesting because of your context. Yeah, that links with the whole women are mysterious thing Mm -hmm. and how magic is mysterious and Mm -hmm. Mistra is mysterious and nobody nobody can really understand her, so we all hate her anyway. Mm -hmm. Moving on. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Mistra is a greater deity with no superior, which I find hella sus for reasons that I will get into. Uh, and her alignment changes throughout editions. So as Mistral, she was chaotic neutral, even though I think chaotic good is probably a better explanation. Mistra 1.0 is said to be lawful neutral. So this is the sussy Mistra. And they actually make a point in the AD&D Cyclopedia of the Realms to say that Mister was made lawful neutral on the premise that magic is inherently neutral and exhibits internal orders and laws. 
which is that justification that I think you were looking for a little bit earlier with Mistral. She, she, I mean, the way she acted, she ended up helping people. Like, okay, it's it's one thing to be pro-weave, which is herself, so she's pro herself, really. So is that just her being self-confident? Because I stand. <laughs> Maybe. I, I don't know, because she ended up helping people and sacrificing herself for the benefit of people, plus the way that she ne- she didn't hate Char. It just, it didn't sit right with me. It just, it wasn't neutral enough. Like, I, I can get when we, like, I, yeah. I got when uh, we did the nature episodes and how there were nature deities that were neutral and then they were described. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's neutral. Like, I like neutral characters. I play neutral characters. I feel like I know neutral characters. And she just did not exhibit neutral alignment personality traits. She might, here's the thing, she might in the books. We don't know because we didn't have time to read all of them. Mm -hmm. So she might. So there might be a lot of evidence in novels that we are just not getting. But in terms of in the source books, yeah, she doesn't ever seem to be any sort of neutral in any respect. Even if they do put like a caveat saying, oh, this is why we made her neutral. Yeah, I could see that. I can totally understand why. But it's it's telling it's telling not showing is the problem. Exactly. The actions don't follow what they're telling us. Exactly. The last alignment shift comes with Midnight slash Mr. 2.0 and then extends to Mr. 3.0. She is neutral good. So at least they start saying, okay, yeah, I guess she's good aligned, but it's neutral good. And I think the shift happened canonically because, like I kind of mentioned before, Midnight was a human that ascended to godhood and her essence was merged with Mistra. So I think I think how the lore was trying to portray it is that the goodness came from her newfound humanity. Um, so Midnight thinks that magic should be used for the greater good and enhance the quality of life, which seems to be what Mistral also wanted to do. But now they really hunker down on that with Mr. 2.0 slash Midnight. I don't know what Mr. 3.0 thinks because 5th edition doesn't have any lore on it. All tea, all shade. (laughs) Someone's salty. I will always be salty at 5th edition for not giving me enough lore. We know this. (laughs) Uh, The domains are, as you said, like magic, spells, the weave. She is the weave. Very similar through lines. And the symbols of Mr. change throughout her different versions as well. So Mr. 1.0 is a blue-white star. Midnight is a circle of stars in a ring with some red mist. And Mr. 3.0 is a single star. And her appearance also shifts throughout her different iterations. So Mr. 1.0, the sussy Mistra, weirdly, even though she banged a lot of people, um, is also described as mostly being uh, seen as a source of light akin to a will-of-the-wisp. Oh, yeah, that was one of our avatars for uh, Mistril. Mm-hmm. So she must have carried that for Mistril. Mm-hmm. And then when she became Midnight, Mr. 2.0, and then throughout Mr. 3.0, she started favoring a more human appearance. Though I would argue she started doing that later on in Mr. 1.0. Well, as a as Mistril, just downright, she, she had a human appearance. So she yeah. was described as being human as mistral but she had an avatar that was also a will of a wisp yeah but for mr 1.0 they're like well she almost always appeared as this and i'm Mm -hmm. like again you're telling us one thing but you're showing other things i mean listen the way she got treated as a manic pixie dream girl maybe she was like no i've had it with being sexualized and being treated that like (laughs) 
She's like, I'm just going to be a will of a wisp now. No more human being for you. I would love that. But also we know that as Mistra, she didn't bang Elminster as a will of the wisp. Yes. <laughs> At least not. <laughs> Unless you did not tell us something that you write in the book. I mean, I didn't get that impression. I can't remember if she was a will of the wisp. I think she at some point she was just a light and they banged as a light and a human. Oh, so, okay. Eh. There's some okay, there's there's some there's some crossover. But by the time it came to Midnight and Mr. 3.0, more human, I think very similar to Miss Strill, beautiful, slim young woman with long dark hair. And it's worth pointing out, too, I don't have enough time to go over all the examples, but Human Midnight, when Midnight, right before she ascended to godhood, was super fucking sexualized in the the Time of Troubles adventures. There's three adventures that she appears in, and oh my fucking god, how she is described in the scenes that she is in is just so horny. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, I'm all about that, but where's that treatment, like we say on this podcast, we have nothing against sexualizing equally. Where are the sexualizations of the male characters? Why is, doesn't Elminster have an eight-pack? Because he also appears in those books. Tell Riddle us that. Her abilities are basically, I would say, on par with Mistral, Mistral's abilities. There's a quote from Faiths and Avatars from second edition that says, Mistra is the goddess of magic, and with that, the goddess of possibilities, which makes her arguably the most powerful deity in Faerun and possibly throughout realm space, which I'm, again, suspicious of this, but I want it to be true so bad because it makes sense because magic is everywhere. Mister is magic. She should be one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful deity. However, I found some stuff in my research that points to maybe that not being the case how she was there for the creation before man before Mm -hmm. mortals before humanoids Mm -hmm. she was literally created after light and dark Mm -hmm. what huh yeah i'll get into it it actually has to do with your point that one of miss drill's abilities of being able to take away people's access to the weave, including deities, because Mr. can also do that. But there's a caveat that I found in Face and Avatars. And the quote reads, If she wished to deny the ability to cast their worshiper spells to all of a deity's clergy, she would have to deny all of those people access to the weave individually, radically unbalancing action that Ao would greatly disapprove of. What the fuck do you mean Ao would greatly disapprove of? What does he have to do with anything? What's that about her not having a superior? Why should she care? What the fuck? <laughs> like, I, I, what? So a- Ao has his finger in everything, in all the pies, mm-hmm. but he hasn't had his finger in all the pies until now. Like, where was he? Where was he when Netheril fell? He only exists to, like, keep other gods in check, apparently, but I've never seen Ao brought up as much as in Mistra's story, which I don't know if that's because Mistra is, like, probably one of the most powerful deities, so, like, maybe they felt the need to bring Ao in more often to be like, oh, don't worry, there's also another greater power if this power gets out of check, which I don't think... I don't know. It's it was just strange to me because no other god seems to answer to Ao 
that I found, but Mr. Specifically, oh, it might disappoint him. So, oh, maybe don't do that. We haven't looked into Salune, have we? Not really. Because that would be the only other one. I mean, Char is an evil deity, so I don't know if she she fucks around with um, Ao, but yeah, the only other one would be Salune, and then there's Shantia, because mm-hmm. those were the ones who came before Mistral, Mistra. Weird that those are all women. I kn- I believe me, I know. That that was another thing, but I was like, I'm not gonna bring that ran into this because we will be here all day. <laughs> mm-hmm. My my creation rant is it's it's its own section of the binder, but it's 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 a, it's a big one. <laughs> yeah, the irony slash the infuriating parallels are not lost on us. Mm-hmm. That the fact that all of these deities, especially like the female ones, answer to a man. And no other deity has that been more apparent than in Mistra, and it drives me nuts. And I will mention Ao one more time, but we will get to it, because there's one more thing that he does that really sent me over the edge. <laughs> I literally had to get up off of my desk and take a lap. Oh boy. Oh boy, this is juicy. The meat juice. The meat juice juice me. I saved that for last, so let me just speed run through the rest of this so we can get to that. So her, I'm just going to briefly mention, she has a lot of relationships with other deities, including Salune, Mieliki, Shantia, like you kind of mentioned. Uh, she also has relationships with a god named Kelm- Kelmvor, who Midnight knew as a human. And they have like this on again, off again romance. And Kelmvor eventually ascends to godhood. Um, she also has relationships with Azuth, the god of spellcasters, who is his advise- her advisor. And he's referred to as a consort in second edition. So he might be one of the people she banged. He might not be because I only found one reference to it. But there's also a quote that <laughs> I'm sure you'll love in that um, this is about when Mistra goes from Mistra 1.0 to Midnight. Mr. 2.0. Azuth regards the new Mistra as an inexperienced daughter facing a taxing and complex job whom he must coach to allow her to best perform her duties. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, man. I, we don't have time to get into it, but I just needed to, I just needed to say that so that listeners were aware. Her second... The guy that's supposed to be directly under her, who understands how gods work and how they're reborn, didn't like Midnight because he thought she was a child, even though she contained the essence of his old, like, bestie. Like, what the? Mansplaining who? (laughs) Jesus Christ. That's what he should be the god of. God of mansplaining, in my opinion. (laughs) Ugh. Just set me over the edge. So much of this did. And then Savras is the last one I'll mention. He's the deity of divin- divination and fate. And he actually fought Azuth for Mistra's affection, question mark, and detailed in powers and pantheons in the wake of Mistral's death and rebirth as Mistra, two rival spell hurlers sought the favor and some say even the hand of the mother of all magic. Barf. Hate that. Sure. He didn't end up winning. Azuth did. 
Uh, her foes, Siric Shar, obviously hated her and murdered her. Bane captured her and then he fucking died. And she also has this weird relationship with Talos, the storm lord, the storm god, because he wants to get control over her domain but never actually does like Shar does mm-hmm. um, we don't have time to really go over her church so I'm just going to go to her worshippers because this is really just split up into two parts so the first part is I want to make it known that <laughs> this is weird that magic users of all alignments and types can worship her because obviously she's the goddess of magic but she has this special connection to wizards specifically for some reason that I'm still not 100% sure of. And here are a couple of quotes to back this up. In Forgotten Realm campaign setting from second edition, wizards and primarily good wizards hold her name in special veneration. In the Shadowdale adventure from 2E, Mr. can cast spells of all classes, but herself acts as a wizard, which doesn't fucking make sense because she learns the spells from herself. So what the fuck does that mean? And from 3.5 Faiths and Pantheons, wizards and sorcerers were mentioned as her worshippers, but no other casters. And I was very confused by that because literally anybody who has access to magic should and can. And in the church, it specifically said that they are encouraged to worship Mistra. And my new conspiracy theory after you did your um, little bit of context is that is it because D&D wizards are masculine because wizards learn magic because they are doing ritualistic magic maybe like trying to bring a bit more masculinity into a feminine coded feminine magic just spitballing and putting it out there but the point I wanted to end on today because I I've never heard anybody talk about this and I want to make it known <laughs> so the chosen of Mistra. This is a big thing that always comes up in Mistra. It came up in Why People Don't Like Her. It came up in basically every edition. Mistra's Chosen are basically her champions, and they are very well known because they're usually very big characters in Forgotten Realms lore. And the Chosen of Mistra contain a spark of Mistra and have a special connection to her, as well as elevated abilities. And in 3.5, it specifically states that they dedicate themselves to preserving magic and holding back the onslaught of evil. The Chosen of Mistra, there's a very long list, but some notable highlights who are all mostly human are Elminster, the Seven Sisters, Kelvin Blackstaff Aronson, and a somebody called the Magister, which is kind of a passing title. Like you earn the title of the Magister by being a very powerful magic caster. Now, the reason I bring this up is because very early on in my research, I found a passage from Shadowdale from second edition that changed the way I looked at the Chosen of Mistra because one of the biggest problems people had was that she haphazardly chose people as her chosen. She didn't treat them very well. And I think those are all very valid good points, which I'll talk more about in my concluding thoughts. However, I would like to bring this to the table, this passage from Shadowdale from second edition. Unbeknownst to the goddess of magic, Ao, long ago, took some of her power and divided it up between other entities, the demigod Azuth, and several humans, including Elminster, the symbol, and Kelvin Blackstaff Aronson. This kept Mistra from becoming too powerful and prevented any other being 
from gaining too much power from controlling her. So in my reading of that, does that mean that Mistra didn't actually choose her chosen and it was just Ao's design all along because it was unbeknownst to her that they had a slice of Mistra inside of them? But it was all Ao's plan. Not Mistra's chosen, Ao's chosen. And when I tell you, I got up off my seat and did a lap. I wasn't kidding. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> like, what the fuck? So he divided some of her power amongst mm -hmm. people she didn't know yet. Mm -hmm. Prior to her finding out that they were powerful. Mm -hmm. And she was attracted to her own power in them. I think so. Yeah. And not just she found powerful people and then he took some of her magic and then put it in them. No, no, no. He found them first. She didn't oh. choose her chosen. That's weird. That's suspicious. That's... So what we're actually saying is that all the relationships that she's had with anyone have been Ao's creation and design. Mm -hmm. So actually, he's the reason that Elminster and Mistra got together in the first place. Presumably. But that here's the thing. That does not excuse, and I want to make this abundantly clear, it doesn't excuse anything that she did. No, it doesn't excuse. It just gives other context to it. But why? For why? Wh why? What a great question. <laughs> and it's just the irony of it being called the chosen of Mistra when Mistra probably didn't even choose her most famous chosen. That really got me. Really got me. And I think part of her, we didn't have time to get into it, but part of her early dogma was all about freedom of choice. She's really not having any herself. Yeah. It's all AO. Everything. That fucking sinister little man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I, we don't have time to get into my full feelings because we are egregiously out of time. However, I will probably go on a rant on After Dark, which is our after show on Patreon, patreon.com slash can't be killed creations. <laughs> plug, 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 plug. <laughs> I don't mean to put all that behind a paywall, but we're actually out of time. But Really, my thoughts are, and it'll just be me ranting, honestly. They probably won't even make any sense on our after show. It's, I don't, I hate it. I hate it so much. And there are some potential contradictions in second and third edition where it said that Mistra was the one to transfer her own power and create the Chosen. But if second edition, if this quote is to be believed, Ayo did this unbeknownst to her. So... It's not even really a contradiction in that case, because if Ao really did this without Mr. Knowing, Mr. of course wouldn't know and would maybe put more of her power into her chosen without knowing that they already had a piece of it already. Which is just mind-blowing. <laughs> I just God. Anyway. <laughs> that's Mistra. Uh, we're gonna take a couple minutes and gather up our hopefully very brief concluding. <laughs> thoughts <laughs> uh and we'll be right back at you in 
right about now. <laughs> Welcome back. Now we've taken some time to consider our life choices, drink some tea, and eat maybe a little bit because some of us have not eaten in a while and we're getting kind of hungry. <laughs> but now we're back and we have some thoughts. So I guess I will start off with my musings on the general topic of Mistra and magic and its link to gender. Yeah, to start off with, I think that there is a weird link between gender and magic in the case of Mistra. Mistra is the weave, and the weave is Mistra. She shares her magic with everyone regardless of who they are, which is pretty non-gatekeepy. And it's not only coming from rituals and books, it's not only coming from privilege, from what I'm understanding. So therefore, her magic is more feminine. And the only thing that I can see with magic being more masculine in the case of D&D is maybe in the types of magic. Maybe you could see more quote-unquote violent, destructive magics as being masculine. Maybe something that's evil to do with magic would be more masculine. But Mistra offers all magic, regardless of the type of magic. And her magic, therefore, in my eyes, isn't gendered. She doesn't gatekeep or prevent anyone from accessing it. Unless, of course, you fuck with her, and then you find out. So in the case of, is Mistra's magic gendered, I don't think it is. I think her as a feminine figure, she, she is feminine herself. Her magic is not gendered. But she does focus on young men, specifically. And helping young wizards. Now, while that has certain repercussions because of how she does it, it's a bit iffy. It's very iffy. It's disgusting and gross. But she's also helping people who generally are at a disadvantage in terms of learning magic. Because, as it was said, women are more capable of doing magic. Therefore, is her helping men guiding them, teaching them to learn magic a good thing, a positive thing. Just the way that she goes about it is wrong. Being both motherly and a sexual partner, in a manipulative way specifically, the ends do not justify the means. It's disgusting, it's gross, and grooming is not okay, regardless of who it is. But it does make me think because the player base itself is generally men. One of the perks of playing D&D is to play escapism, and wizards are pretty iconic class in and of themselves for a magic user. And it's one of the original four classes of AD&D. So is her focus on helping men just the general realization of the game's creators that the player base is basically all men? So catering to their hero story would be beneficial, and what better way to do that than to use the deity of magic to help them learn magic 
inherently magic is feminine, therefore obviously the deity of magic is feminine, but she would be helping men because the player base is men, therefore focusing on wizards. But also realizing that your player base is men and they're playing escapism and fantasy and don't know the difference between <laughs> fantasy and sexual fantasy. <laughs> or rather, the typical, I guess, way of playing old D&D, AD&D, and how there's always that escapism to bang women. And wouldn't it be so cool if you could bang the person who's also teaching you because, you know, she's magic mommy. And also just the fact that they will probably bang anything with tits and long hair. So as not to say that her being groomy is forgivable. I'm more so going at it for un trying to understand why it happened, why her character is the way that it is. Is it just a combination of catering to the player base and not realizing the repercussions of what her actions become in the big picture? I don't know. That's food for thought. Because I don't, I, don't I don't think they intended to make her that way. At least I really hope not. And I don't think that the men writing her in general knew how to write her, knew how to write women who are nuanced. So it ended up being a lot of stereotypes and random decisions and kind of winging it. And they end up making pretty damning patterns of behavior regardless, which is not excusable. But that's just to say that everything boils down. Like in this entire episode, the one red line is that men do not understand women in terms of the context we talked about in terms of history, in terms of writing women, in terms of creating lore for Mistra, like that's what this all really boils down to and a fear of what they don't know. So yeah, that's my conclusion. <laughs> my non-conclusion <laughs> is, is those just vibes, no thoughts. <laughs> Lots of thoughts, but mostly vibes. <laughs> I try. I mean, I'm kind of the same because I still don't have 100% of an answer on what I feel towards Mistra. So I formatted mine <laughs> to try to organize my thoughts, which is like a Q&A to, you know, answer the question of are people valid in hating Mistra? Are the things that we talked about in part one, do they hold true or is there some other undercurrent going on? So the first point that I made that, you know, in this list of why people hate Mistra, Mistra is a bitch. Is Mr. a bitch? I don't think so, <laughs> personally. I think she is a very complicated character and makes very terrible choices at various points in her existence. But I wouldn't necessarily ever call what she was doing like bitchy behavior, but also bitchy is a very like, it, it's come to be pretty, used in a pretty sexist way. So I would say that she is just complicated <laughs> and like is mean is nice is neutral is all these different emotions as a deity but bitchy would not be one of them in my opinion mister has a history of grooming young men emphasized in Boulder's grade three absolute fucking lutely building off of Lissa's point she absolutely has very problematic relationships with her chosen with her worshipers specifically with young wizard men usually specifically is mister 1.0 and even though the relationship with her chosen is murky because of Ao and his pot his potential um, role in choosing some of her chosen, 
that still, like Lissa said, doesn't excuse her from sexually exploiting her followers. Still a really bad fucking thing that she did. Neutral deity, good deity, evil deity or not. That's just fucking messed up. Mr. in the book version is poorly written by Ad Greenwood, a man. While we didn't read any of the books except for the one that Lissa read, it's clear, I think, in some versions that we read of Mistra, of Mistral in the source books that Mr. gives, like a lot of other female deities in the Forgotten Realms, wish fulfillment vibes in terms of her appearance, which can be over-sexualized at times. And that's a trend of Ed Greenwood goddesses, so I think that's a valid point to be made. I think she was overly sexualized and infantilized in earlier editions and then twisted in a bunch of different ways to fulfill a very specific male fantasy. And the last point was Mr. didn't give a fuck about good and evil so long as it serves magic. And that point, I think, is the one that I was most confused about because I never got that impression from reading the source books. And if anything, like Lissa pointed out when she was talking about Mistral, she's really always been kind of good-coded in source books. A lot of her, you know, actions later on in her story, definitely not good, but in terms of her overarching actions of how she views magic and the weave and her worshippers, etc., way more good-coded than, like, not giving a fuck about good versus evil. Although, I have to say again, can't say that this holds true in the novels, so we might be missing some nuances there. Overall, I think, very similar to Lissa, Mistra is another female goddess that was done dirty by men who didn't know how to write women very well. <laughs> there was a lot of really cool-ass lore about magic. There's a lot of stuff in her church that's really cool. She has a lot of really cool vibes and aesthetics, like one of those Reddit commenters says. However, the designers just didn't know quite what to do with her. They didn't know how to align her or represent that alignment in her actions. And I wonder, personally, if they would have had the same problem if she was a male deity instead of a female deity. Because the, you know, trends we've seen in D&D goddesses and D&D female characters is that they are either super sexualized or mommy vibes, basically. Whether they're good, they're evil, or neutral. There is no in-between. So I'm wondering if they were just trying to go to one of those ends instead of actually making her a true neutral character. Her actions unwillingly, I think, serve as a good example. But not all groomers are men, but that is a point that has been ascribed in 2023 after 50 plus years of retrospective. And very similar to Lissa, I came to the same conclusion. I don't think that they wrote her this way on purpose. I don't think she was meant to be written as a woman who grooms young men. I think a lot of the sexuality and her power dynamic came from being written as a powerful magic mommy and the men writing her wanted to impose their sexual fantasies not knowing and not understanding at the time that those power dynamics are a fucking problem so overarchingly is people's hatred of mr justified you can think whatever the fuck you want <laughs> like you could think she's good she's evil it's your prerogative how you portray her in your games is absolutely your prerogative. She can be taken so many different ways, and I think a lot of those ways are valid. Whether it's neutral or good or evil, unaligned, Mistra seems to be really a blank slate because if you want to reset her canonically, just fucking kill her again and give her a new personality. You know, like you can do whatever the fuck you want. Do I hate Mistra? No. 
I don't think I do currently. I haven't played Baldur's Gate 3 yet, which seems to be where a lot of problematic behavior is coming from the discourse, so I might change my opinion. But currently, no, I don't hate her. I just wish she was written better, like Lissa pointed out. I think her neutrality should be more emphasized. I think the f- writers of D&D should stop sexualizing every fucking goddess when you don't do the same for gods because that's where a bunch of these problems come from is just from sexualizing every female character in your book and putting your kinks onto something and this time putting them on a character that has a huge power dynamic to every person that they ever have any sexual interaction with and not understanding the implications of that written in another time or not like that's zoinks big zoinks and everybody's criticism of the mistress relationship with her chosen completely valid my last point is that because mistress is kind of just so i think overarchingly poorly handled ao should not have had that much impact on her story because he doesn't have any other at least for the deities that i've researched Ao doesn't have that much impact on any other deity. So what the fuck is up with him choosing some of her chosen? Why do female goddesses need to be defined by a man? Why is the entire Faerunian Forgotten Realms pantheon a patriarchy? Why? For the love of God, why? Whew. Well, that was a beast and a half. So if you made it through this entire episode, thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, you can find our sources at can'tbekilledcreations.com slash sources. Please, if you have a minute, take a take some time to rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really helps push the podcast out to other listeners. We also have a Patreon that we've plugged a couple times in this episode where we post lore rewrites, rewriting some of the problematic lore that we talk about on the podcast. We have an after show where we talk about all the cut content. This episode is going to have a lot of it. (laughs) Um, We also do sporadic book club. If you don't want to join our Patreon, that's totally okay too. Again, we're just so glad you're listening, especially for these beefier, super analysis heavy episodes. And if you want to hear more of our voices, we have a second podcast called The Cave Trolls, spelled just like Slovenly Trolls, T-R-U-L-L-S, where we talk about what's happening in the TTRPG space, as well as spotlight some other TTRPGs. And you can also follow us on social media at Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, Threads, TikTok. I think that's all of them. More might be added to the list. I don't know. But until then, thank you so much for listening. We've been the Slovenly Trolls. And don't forget the number one rule of D&D. Don't Don't be be a dick. Slovenly Trolls, we're big bad evil girls. The Slovenly Trolls podcast is part of the Can't Be Killed Creations podcast network. Make sure to check us out at campykilledcreations.com.